Welcome to Workforce Rx with Futuro Health, where future-focused leaders in education, workforce development, and healthcare explore new innovations and approaches. I'm your host, Von Tone Quinlivan, CEO of Futuro Health. It's been a challenging couple of years for frontline healthcare providers, and physicians are no exception. The pandemic brought a lot of change and challenges, but even before COVID, there were major trends impacting doctors, including burnout, digitization, and adjusting to the new technologies and how they affect workflows, and making sense of how to apply an ever-increasing amount of data at their fingertips. I'm going to explore these issues today with Lori McGraw, Senior Vice President of Health Solutions at the American Medical Association. She has spent her career leading health information companies that brought innovative technology to healthcare. And in her current role, she has responsibility for data solutions used across the U.S. healthcare industry. She's also a board member and strategic mentor for a wide range of technology and healthcare organizations and advisor to the Women in Leadership Program at George Washington University School of Business and host of the podcast, Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. Thanks so much for joining us today, Lori. Thanks, Vaughn. It's great to be talking to you again. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. What do you hear from the American Medical Association members about workforce trends and challenges? I think, you know, you you covered some of the key topics, Vaughn. I mean, we are we are now crossing two years into this pandemic. And even before um, we were in the pandemic, one of the major issues that the AMA has been working on and continues to work on are the issues facing physicians, anything that gets in the way of them seeing their patients, which results in burnout. And the pandemic has only exasperated to a near breaking point, you know, those issues. We're seeing the challenges um, and the stress upon physicians because of the pandemic, the surges, the, you know, hopeful recoveries only to be taken backwards. And, you know, some very, very recent research um, that the AMA is talking about is showing that the levels of stress and burden to physicians is resulting in physicians considering leaving the workforce. We are looking at one in five physicians in a recent study um, considering leaving the workforce in the next two years. One in three of a physician of about 20,000 respondents across 120 plus organizations um, saying that they would be looking to reduce the amount of time that they're spending caring for patients. So those will only exasperate an already challenged um, level of workforce that's out there. What are you hearing, Lori, as ways that healthcare executives are trying to mitigate some of these trends and these numbers? They are very dramatic, as you mentioned. They are. I mean, if these statements actually come true, it will only put more burden on the overall healthcare system. And so, why the stress? I think, you know, we don't need to think too hard to understand how stressful the pandemic has been for frontline physicians, clinicians. But burnout comes from a lot of different things. Um, burnout comes from the workload of technology that's not built into workflows. Burnout comes from not feeling valued. Burnout comes from um, other challenges. Those might be financial challenges. They might be distribution of work. 
and things of um, that nature. So from an AMA perspective, it is uh, a lot of attention through education, resources, policy changes, advocacy work to help alleviate these changes. It is a very, very significant problem. Your members have seen the increased use of telemedicine and telehealth uh, during the pandemic. There's also been a lot of press around incorporation of AI solutions um, and other uh, forms of digitization. How's the AMA helping its members keep up with all of these changes? Sure. And, you know, first of all, like, you know, all of these digital health solutions and AI, the AMA calls that augmented intelligence is how we think about it. I mean, they, they have been in the works for quite a bit of time, but the level of adoption hasn't met the opportunity that comes with um, that level of innovation. And then, boom, pandemic, and we saw an absolute explosion in terms of the adoption of digital health tools, telehealth, and that became the main way of seeing patients um, during the pandemic. And that is maintaining, even though the levels of adoption number of telehealth visits have lowered a bit in recent months. At the same time, the need to deal with that enormous rapid adoption. We saw 10 years of adoption in a period of months during this course of the pandemic. So what is needed? Education, work on ensuring that there's appropriate reimbursement for um, the adoption of those tools, playbooks, actual uh, tools to advise practices for how to ensure that digital health is adopted into workflows because those types of things, if done well, can allow for physicians to easily adopt the great innovations. But if not done well, it only leads to sort of that negative cycle of more burden, more disruption, um, which is, as you know, we just mentioned, uh, a real problem in healthcare today. One of our prior guests was Walter Greenleaf at the Stanford Hospital, and his advice for young people who are considering a career as a physician was that they really should have familiarity with technology, any forms and all forms of technology. And so one of the, the pilots we have at Futura Health is a project with UC Berkeley pre-meds where we're training them on telehealth skills so that they can work with public clinics and contribute some, some hours, but also gain exposure to technology-enabled uh, services, as well as giving back to the, the community. What advice do you have for people who are considering a career as a physician? First of all, you know, for younger people who are going into medicine, who are considering being a physician, technology is an absolute. And, you know, fortunately, younger people, they're digital natives. So these these tools and technologies are not necessarily foreign to them. Um, at the same time, they need to be incorporated into workflows for all those reasons. I think for physicians today or people who are aspiring to be physicians, there is is a tremendous amount that's required. Not only do you have to be clinically educated, but you need to be technology educated. As a physician, you are a trusted voice and that continues to be true. So how you advocate and use that voice and 
educate, you know, in a time where there's tremendous misinformation about healthcare and things of that nature is another um, thing that really does fall to be a responsibility for physicians. At the same time, that you know, when people are pursuing being a physician, they're doing it from a place of service. They're doing it from a place of wanting to um, help people. And so the appetite to do all those things and the energy required, because as you well know, Vaughn, the level of education and years that you need to put in to become a practicing physician is a lot. So getting prepared is uh, certainly advice. There are lots of resources that are available, but it certainly does seem like the profession is just chock full of people who are doing fantastic work. Uh, Laura, you mentioned that there's resources there because it's a very long journey to become a physician. I was wondering if you can mention what are some resources, financial resources, support resources that are available out there for people who want to become physicians? And maybe are there also added resources if you're not so young and you're doing a mid-career change? Is there a different path that you can take to become a, a physician? There are tremendous resources in terms of just, you know, education. Of course, the American Medical Association provides information. We have an education hub, an ed hub. We have tools and um, podcasts and playbooks for residents and students, how to prepare for medical school, how to understand the finances that would be needed for a medical school. There is quite a bit of education about that. And then also um, networking opportunities. I mean, we have been in a virtual world for going on two years. So how physicians can interact with each other through different mechanisms, you know, the AMA provides many of those opportunities. Again, all of that information available on the website um, and through other means. Are there other occupations and roles that surround the physician that are available as career opportunities for communities? Yeah, I think, you know, Vaughn, we've talked about this before. I, I, I just think that the challenges uh, for the workforce, physicians, mid-levels, nurses, and other types of healthcare professionals are changing and they're changing rapidly. So maybe just to hit on a couple things, we know that there are shortages. We know that there is burnout. We know that there are um, other stressors that are out there. So we need to reduce the burnout. We need to fix the stressors. And maybe just, you know, one example is um, in the area of technology. So when we talk about burnout, and the AMA does a lot of research in this area, studying sort of, you know, what do physicians think about technology and innovation? And the answer to that is they love it. You know, they love innovation. But the thing is, they care about innovation as long as there's clarity that it works, that they know how they're going to be reimbursed for the use of new innovations, liability issues, but then most importantly, ensuring that it works within workflows. Otherwise, it creates other stressors um, and burnout. So we need to address those things. As we go into the, you know, a time where the type of disease burden, that is upon this nation is really mostly in the area of chronic conditions. There's all kinds of opportunities with digital health solutions, but that will require other types of healthcare providers, not just physicians, but are there other types of coaches or other professionals that can help? So just as an example, the AMA does quite a bit of work in diabetes and 
you know, 90 million Americans with pre-diabetes, so it could be prevented. There was a partnership with the YMCA for health coaches to help with pre-diabetes so that the onset of diabetes, which can be debilitating, doesn't occur. Well, that requires new workforce distribution. Who are these health coaches? How can you sign up for one of these things and help manage your own health? And with the issues and stresses and not the right, perhaps, distribution of a physician workforce, how can that be supplemented, augmented in ways to care for what is a growing burden of disease, you know, across the nation? I mean, Vaughn, what are your thoughts? You know how large of an issue issue this is we're facing. Well, this is fantastic that you had this YMCA pilot. Um, I'm wondering your thoughts on taking that to scale, because you're absolutely right. As you watch the innovation leaders and how they do this work, it does inform how the workflow change and therefore how skill sets change. And it, it allows us to look around the corner and pre-think how do we need to retrain or, or think about the skill sets and qualifications of individuals? And how do they then get licensed? How does that become an easy process? How do you know where the workforce needs to be? There are opportunities with you know virtual care. There's opportunities with digital health, but we also have issues where we have you know hospital closures in rural health settings. And what do people do? there. I mean, sometimes there's no substitute for seeing that physician in person. So for all of this wonderful advancement of um, telehealth, we still need to have physicians and locations throughout the country where people can access the resources that they need. From the AMA's perspective, from the things that, Vaughn, you are doing at Futuro Health, you know, ensuring that the workforce is there to meet and match the moments um, of need. We know that we need scalable solutions. That starts with education, certainly lots of research, but then removing the barriers that get in the way. You know, Laurie, we talked about whether there could be an efficient way to rapid prototype the curriculum and then the articulate the standards that are needed. For example, your your health coach, because it would be so much easier if that were centrally developed, and then all of the education institutions can peg their respective curriculums against that standard, rather than each one developing its own unique flavor and healthcare can't tell the difference between one credential or one degree over another in terms of the quality of the workforce. So it sounds like there could be more work done in this space. And this type of work is best done as an ecosystem of the willing, right, coming together rather than any one organization bearing the full burden of doing this work. I agree with that. And I think that certainly the AMA does a tremendous amount of work in the education for physicians, which of course um, makes sense. But we also know, and you and I have talked about that, you know, for the growing list of other types of healthcare professionals and the opportunity that can come with the complement of those other professionals for managing chronic disease burden, how will they be educated? How will we know they meet certain standards, that those are areas that need to be developed. And I do think um, ecosystem scalable types of um, thinking is needed. It's an evolving space, but we know that these workforce needs to care for the health of the nation are needed. 
So, Laurie, well, you know, one of the things that affected physician burnout is the frustrations with electronic medical records. And you have extensive background in this. And I was wondering what your perspective on that is. Well, yeah, I spent a lot of years, you know, well over 20 working on electronic health records, and I'm I'm proud of that work. It was quite a big lift to get to a level of when I started in EHRs, they were EMRs. Um, when I started, it was less than 5% of physicians had adopted electronic health records, and now it's um, 95% plus in terms of adoption. And the original promise of sort of paving that clinical information highway was different than what the result was. You know, I don't think anyone would want to go backwards, but nobody anticipated that physicians would go from seeing patients, which was what they continue to love to do the most, to now two hours of sort of administrative work to one hour of seeing patients. I mean, that is just a complete reversal of what you would want. Burden, burnout, all the stress that comes with that. So what happened? You know, why is it? And I think that, you know, what we've seen is it's not just that the tools themselves weren't optimized, but there have been just additional administrative requirements that, again, have been put on the physician. It's upside down. And so, you know, some of the areas, for example, the level of administrative overhead with areas like prior authorization is enormous for physicians to simply want to care for their patients with the best sort of, you know, clinical decisions that they're making. And now they have to go through all these administrative hoops for um, prior authorization. AMA is working on things to try and right-size prior authorization. So it isn't this level of administrative overhead. Uh, So I think there's absolutely more that the technology companies can do to reduce the overhead of the tools. And again, that's working in the workflow, that's reducing the clicks. There's more policy work uh, that can be done to change some of that administrative overhead. But fun, it's got to happen. And it's got, I mean, it needs to happen at a more rapid pace because these burdens, again, going to the larger issues with the workforce are real and we need to be addressing them. I'm glad uh, the AMA is taking leadership on that. My father is a physician and anesthesiologist. Uh, He's retired now, but I can hear him express frustration around the administrivia and how he's having to do more of that. Uh, versus direct patient care, which he loves, uh, and the, the the clinical aspects of doing uh, medicine. Mm-hmm. So thank you for taking that on. We talked a little bit about the team that needs to augment the the physician in order to offload some of the work that really don't require someone who's a doctor level training to do. So mid level providers in the doctor's office, such as physicians assistants and other allied health professionals. What impact is that having on doctors and what advice do you have for us as you see these trends continue? Yes. So I think that, you know, we also have seen this shift in terms of how physicians are delivering care. And again, of course, the AMA both studies this, um, works on how physicians are educated. So the big shift is now in 
team-based care. How do physicians practice where they are in teams rather than as individual uh, practitioners? And so that includes a lot of additional mid-levels and participants and also wanting to coordinate across where their patients are um, being seen. So from an AMA perspective, we do quite a bit of work in the area of medical education, making sure that physicians are prepared for this team-based care, making sure that there is, you know, the appropriate sort of like scope of practice, who's doing which things, but the trends of um, more mid-levels in the workforce, they're, they're definitely the, some of the fastest growing areas of professionals that are out there. And, you know, as we've been talking about it's needed. We need more healthcare professionals. Um, physicians are certainly being impacted with the stressors and the burnout, but that is true across other clinical professionals. So I just think that the um, more that we can work on the issues for excellent workflow, streamlining, reducing the stressors, having technology just work and work in the background, not be the most important thing that the clinical professionals have to do. The, the technology should work for the professional, not the other way around. Is there any um, other point that you'd like to make with regards to the physician workforce? Well, just that I think the issues of burnout the issues of physicians feeling valued by their employer. We have more physicians who are being employed now than owning their own practices. That is a trend that has just been continuing. But we need to address those issues. The pandemic has only accelerated and created um, additional stressors to the workforce, but of things that were already already happening. And given the needs that we have and the opportunities, we have opportunities with innovative technologies like digital health, virtual care, digital therapeutics, for those to sort of keep pace. There's a shift that is happening um, before us. And I think that we need to be attentive to the multiple angles of making it easier for, in particular, physicians to do what they do well and they want to do most, which is care for their patients. I'm glad you're working with the nation to really drive interest and attention into these workflows. So thank you, Laurie. Well, let us end by having you tell us more about your podcast, Inspiring Women, uh, which is um, how we first met. Why did you decide to launch it and anything else you'd like to share with us? Yeah, well, thanks, Vaughn. And, and I so appreciated you um, joining me for that. So I started this podcast, Inspiring Women. I, as a uh, professional, a woman, often, you know, one of not many around the table. I've always been an advocate for women and women pursuing leadership opportunities. And I think with the pandemic, it just became something that I wanted to um, do. I had done personally several podcasts like this one, had found it to be a really great forum. And I just thought it would be terrific to start to speak out loud to other women. So on this podcast, I talked to two types of women, women like yourself, Vaughn, amazingly accomplished, 
decorated, have been there, done that, and risen to um, significant leadership positions. I'd like to hear the stories. And then I also like to speak to younger women who are just starting out, who are aspiring themselves. And I think by just sharing those conversations, um, other women can hear the stories and learn and maybe hear something in someone else that is an issue that they're facing themselves. We're seeing more women leave the workforce. We're seeing more broken rungs in the ladders to leadership um, for women. And these issues, again, they're not new issues, but they haven't changed at the pace that they should have. The pandemic has caused more problems um, for women, so it will take longer to achieve equity around whether it's the board table or the leadership table. And so this is my small way of uh, trying to do something there, and it has just been a lot of fun having those conversations. And Lori, what advice would you give to younger women starting out now that you've interviewed a few? My advice is to push hard and ask for what you want out loud to somebody who can give it to you. I find consistently that women do not appreciate how competent they are and capable and they can do more to advocate for themselves. There are all kinds of systemic issues that need to be addressed, but I really um, implore women to speak loudly and advocate for themselves. We need more of them in those leadership positions and the talent is there. And Loy, is that advice different for mid-career women? It isn't. You know, Vaughn, that's such a good question. I'm going to tell you something. You know, it's interesting. I was talking to another woman the other day, and she was just saying, you know, mid-career women, it's like they are used to sort of being recognized and perhaps pulled into their next position. But then there's a certain place at which you need to actually advocate for yourself to be recognized for those what are fewer next level leadership um, positions. And women perhaps don't appreciate that. And it goes perhaps into a negative cycle. So the need to advocate for yourself, realize that networking is something you should always be doing in your career, not just when you are trying to pursue something is probably advice even more important, perhaps for mid-level career women. And what about your advice for women who have achieve some level of success. I think women who have achieved some level of success, just like you, Vaughn, should do exactly what you do, which is you um, advocate for others. You are very generous with your time in mentoring other women, giving back and um, helping and being supportive. And I think that, you know, I find more and more women who are doing that and it's needed and it's helpful that, you know, I don't think that I've ever said no to somebody who's asked for a few minutes of my time to run an idea or get a little bit of advice. And I think that there are plenty of women who are willing to do that for others. So I just think the more that that can happen, building those types of communities, are extremely um, helpful. I value them. I've appreciated just working with you and getting to know you. I know that that's something that's very important to how you um, show up as a leader. Likewise, Lori. Well, there you have it. We learned so much from speaking with Lori, who is very successful and a very generous human being. Thank you, Lori, for being with us today. Thank you, Vaughn. This was terrific. 
I'm Vontone Quinlevin with Futura Health. Thanks for checking out this episode of Workforce Rx. I hope you will join us again as we continue to explore how to create a future-focused workforce in America. Thank you.